0: Welcome into the Seminole Rap Podcast here. I uh, appreciate my next guest. I told you guys a week ago we were going to talk LSU, uh, Florida State this week. Uh, checking out our defensive preview. I gave you a heads up. This was coming. And uh, we're excited. We're going to go with a little, little SB Nation. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A little uh, alignment? Is that the word that uh, LSU ADs over there are using? Alignment, right? That's uh, Grant Sacheray from And the Valley Show. Yeah. He's at the LSU SB Nation mm-hmm. site. Uh, Grant, man, appreciate you coming on.
1: Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for having me
0: on. Uh, If you're looking for Grant, looking for LSU information, we're doing this two weeks out. Next week, we'll do our, uh, with our team, the full group, talking LSU, FSU preview, plus the kind of season expectations. But if you're curious over the next couple of weeks, what's going on with LSU? What's the roster look like? How are they coming together? Any maybe injuries or updates that come along? He's on Twitter. It's C-H-A-C-H-E-R-E-G-R-A-N-T. That's his name, just last name, first name, uh, one word out there on Twitter. It's pretty straightforward, I think. But uh, Grant, I I wanted to bring you on talking about this game, especially it's uh, uh, out of conference. So I think Florida State fans keep talking about it as the biggest game because it's first and it's another top 10 game, but at the same Mm -hmm. time, maybe not in the way of their ACC dreams. But this certainly feels like a big one, especially considering last year's game was two unranked teams that really didn't have a lot of momentum behind it
1: hmm Yeah, and last year was kind of, you know, it was a weird game because like, you, if you looked at both teams, both of us looked like Dutch like, playing against each other because there's so many mistakes and, you know, obviously Florida State, you know, they were still kind of in rebuild mode before they had that great year. And then LSU, it was the first game under Brian Kelly. We're still trying to figure some things out with our personnel. And then, you know, after the game, you know, you're like, damn, both these teams aren't going to be very good for the rest of the year. Well, it turned up. Florida State ended up having a ten-win season, and then LSU shocked a lot of people, not only in the South but in the nation as a whole when they won the SEC West and they beat Alabama, um, and ended up winning ten games. Especially when I think a lot of people had them winning the least, like seven or eight games. Um, but this season, Florida State LSU is a top ten matchup. You know, LSU Florida State for a lot of people are they're two dark horse candidates to make it to the playoff. Which is amazing, say the fact that that wasn't even a conversation a year ago. Um, and then also, you know, this game reminds me a lot of like when LSU played Texas in 2019, where you know you had Texas coming off a Sugar Bowl win, LSU was coming off a Fiesta Bowl win, and it was a top ten matchup. And you had a feeling like whoever won that game carried a lot of momentum as the season went on. And now it's obvious because LSU, you know, they went on to win the national championship, and the Texas kind of. Stumbled down, but that was, but I don't think that's going to happen to Florida State. I think that's more of a Texas thing than anything. <laughs> but Florida State, even if I feel like even if Florida State loses th- this game, I, I just feel like they still can make the playoffs as long as they beat Clemson and beat the teams they're supposed to be. But then again, when you, if you lose, if either team loses this game, a lot of pressure's on them. Yeah. So, it's- you know, the win.
0: Yeah, it becomes a win now kind of situation. I thought you made a good, an interesting conversation point on the uh, the idea of both teams really spun it around surprisingly, and now they're both sitting as these almost uh, everyone's favorite dark horse. It's like the dark horses that aren't really dark horses. Everyone seems to love LSU. Everyone seems to love Florida State. Um, One thing I thought was really interesting in in last year's game was both teams were sluggish. Um, Every scoring drive I looked at was. 12 14 16 plays I mentioned this in last week's recording and um this both teams ended up having some of the most explosive offenses in the country so I feel like if you if you watched last year and you're kind of expecting a repeat um probably not both these teams you know have found a gear and especially LSU as the year went along started really clicking
1: right exactly and you know I mean you could tell because like you know the course I remember they were three and three at one point last season a lot of people forget about that they were at 500. And then they won seven straight games. in LSU, um, you know, obviously after the four State game, we ended up getting blown out by Tennessee. And then we barely beat uh, a very bad Auburn team. You know, it took like, you know, a bunch of mistakes from Auburn for us to even pull it out. But then as the season went along, Florida State obviously got hot. And then LSU got hot. Jane Davis became a lot more comfortable in the pocket. And then also was the emergence of Harold Perkins. I think, you know, one of the things I think you noticed in last year's games that, you know, I think a lot of people forget about this, but um, Mason Smith, or probably arguably LSU's best defense lineman, I got hurt the very first drive of the game. Then Harold – and then, you know, Ali Gay, who was our starting defense at end at that time, um, he's not graduating. He got – I think he got – either he got kicked out in the third That's quarter targeting, or the early the yeah. yeah, and then, you know, Harold Perkins, you know, wasn't really installed in the defense because he was still a young guy. He was – he didn't participate. In the he only got there until August when they started fall camp. And so, like, you know, I think, you know, having a guy like Mason Smith back in the lineup and also having a guy like Her- Harold Perkins who could probably play, you know, he could play on in the inside, could play on the outside. They could use him as a pass rusher. I mean, Harold Perkins is probably, I mean, at this point, on pace to become the greatest linebacker in all of history. Be- like, I mean, the only other guy I could think of, like, you know, that has skill skills was Devin Smith, but like, I think Harold Perkins, you know, if he keeps playing the way he's playing, I mean, like this dude's probably arguably, you know, among the greatest LSU defensive players of all time, considering the fact that in recent years we've also had the Honey Badger and um,
0: Patrick Peterson.
1: Patrick Peterson John Adams. There's a whole bunch of guys. Oh, yeah. There's a whole bunch of guys, you know, the LSU's produced on the defensive side of the ball. And, uh, you know, and the fact that, you know, Harold Perkins is already kind of up there as a true sophomore is amazing.
0: Yeah. One of the guys I mentioned that we did, I did the uh, schedule preview and I think it came out a month ago. So if you're one of the the readers on this kind of looking for a preview, looking to kind of follow along, I put it in the article for this game. Um, go ahead and find that. But one of the things I did in there is is—is we always list out players to watch and Jane Daniels is one we'll get to him and, and we'll get to the defensive guys too, but uh, you kind of talked about Harold Perkins. So I'll start there. Um, like you said, didn't play to start the year for LSU. Um, and really became the centerpiece of the defense kind of single-handedly winning the Arkansas game um, I think when people think linebacker it's a lot of kind of leading the charge being the coach on the field moving guys around um, but to your you you kind of mentioned Tyron Matthews name but it was kind of like that try, kind of Palomalu like where it didn't feel like he was even part of the 11 he was just kind of wherever the ball was or wherever he needed to be um, which is a different kind of player.
1: Yeah, exactly. And kind of going off that point, you know, the thing, uh, you know, the thing about Tyre Matthew, like when he played for the twenty eleven LSU defense, like that twenty eleven. I think if you don't, if you remember this correct, but like LSU's de- twenty eleven defense was basically the offense. Like the offense was like, you know, very. I wouldn't say it was bad, but you know, a lot. You know, there's awesome some very talented players in the offense, but they're misused because less. Miles, you know, had been, you know, about, you know, throwing the ball down the field. I don't know what the whole issue was, but he wasted a lot of players time on the offense. But if you look at the 2011 defense, that was probably one of the greatest defenses of all time. I mean, every time the defense stepped on the field, like, oh, what are they going to do now? Because you had guys like Tyron Matthew and Mo Claiborne and all these different, you know, players on LLC's defense that are just amazing. Um, and, you know, w- you know, the reason why I brought the Honey Badger in comparison to Harold Perkins is because every time. That Harold Perkins on the field, like, okay, what's this dude gonna do? Because he's just so incredible and just so fast and agile. Like, you know, he moves like he's a, a bat. That's how like quick he is. And having a guy like who's so disruptive like that with Harold Perkins, it just he's a game changer. If you take if you take Harold Perkins on the defense, the defense will be very good, but it doesn't have that guy who has the edge, you know. LSU, I think LSU defense is going, be, is going to be very, very good. They're going to have a lot of guys with edge, but Harold Perkins is a different guy. He's a different animal. And, you know, I think, you know, if you, if Harold Perkins if, – if the coaches knew about Harold Perkins in the Florida State game, I think that Florida State game would look a little bit differently. I'm not saying LSU would have won because there's a lot of issues with LSU during that game that was just – that wasn't just because of being on Harold Perkins not playing the game, but, like, There's a couple. There's like the the first two losses LSU had against Florida State, Tennessee. You know, it was clear that the defense didn't have a, they didn't have a foot in that game because they're just missing something. But you know, every other game LSU played, it it was very clear. Okay, here you gotta watch out for number forty. He's number four now. You gotta watch out for number forty.
0: You said he switched to number four he switched to number four yet yes sir. okay so yeah so keep an eye on number four yeah. um if you're an lsu fan looking at florida state here i think the one thing to keep in mind or if you're an fsu fan saying well that's great and all um your response would probably be but we've got jordan travis the quarterback for florida state very quick very fast um one of the few who may be able to outrun a guy like harold perkins um i feel like that is going to be a lot of fun to watch the two of them go stride for stride jordan's made a lot of Uh, steps in his throwing, his ability to place the ball. And I think it was really on display against his LSU defense last year. Um, But one thing I thought really helped out a ton for Florida state was they were able to really control the middle of this, of the field. They were able to really run the ball. Well, Uh, we saw Treshawn Ward and and Trey Benson and everyone kind of get moving Ward has since transferred, but um, that's where I think a guy like a Mason Smith, you mentioned if you're an LSU fan may come into play maybe a Makai Wingo had to fill in his place. What does the LSU D line look like? Because when I think of Forest State and success, what's the blueprint to get there? It's effectively running the ball. And I think LSU might have the defensive line best equipped to slow them down if anyone can.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So, up in the middle with the defensive tackles, we obviously, I've mentioned before, Basis Smith, who, you know, last year was an All American candidate. And, you know, and losing him the very first drive of the game, you know, that, Definitely, even though it didn't really affect LSU's defensive line at that point in time, you, do, you know LSU's defensive line wasn't as deep as it was. isn't uh, wasn't like, LSU's defensive line is very deep this year, but last year they were not very deep at all. And you know losing him kind of hurt their death. But you know not only do you have Mesa Smith, who in my opinion, you know, if he plays very well this year, he was going to be a first round pick because not only because of his size, but because of the speed and you know, his agility and, you know, he's very quick as a guy for somebody who's like six, five and 300 pounds, very quick, very agile. And uh, then you also have Mekhi, like you mentioned, Makai Wingo. Makai Wingo kind of a people, even though, I think there's some people who knew Makai uh, uh, Wingo was going to be very good. At the same time, like he shocked a lot of people, how well he replaced a guy like Mason Smith. So having those two guys back, it's very good, but then you also have uh, Jacobin Guillory, who's also a very solid guy to have in that rotation as well. And then the, on the on the defensive ends, obviously you lose B.J. Oligari, and then you also lose Ali Gay, who are veterans on the LSU team. But you replace him with a guy, Savion, Savion Jones, who's a very, uh, you know, who's had like four and a half sacks last year, I think. He, he actually did very well on a guy who's kind of more of a rotational role. And then you also have, you know, there's a Couple guys like Ov OG, uh, Hufa, I think I messed not I think I uh, jacked his name up, but he was a guy who was with Brian Kelly in Notre Dame, and he's very comfortable with Brian Kelly and his staff. And he seems to be very good. And they also have Braden Swenson, who transferred in from Oregon, who's been in that rotation as well. Uh, but those, but you know, those are guys that are coming off the uh, coming out straight on the head. But LSU's defensive line is very, very deep this year compared to you know compared to last year. And you could kind of tell because you know, I remember the A and M game. This is a game we uh, we got upset, you know, the very last game of the year where they beat us like two or three touchdowns. You could tell that the defensive line was very tired. So having depth of the defensive line makes is going to make the difference uh, when LSU comes to play against Florida State. But then again, Florida State's offensive line, you know, they look very very good. And I think they ret- you guys returned like I think all of them.
0: Am uh, correct? I think they lost two. Or like- um, but it, it is a group that they've got, they've brought in a lot of transfers, uh, senior leadership transfers. Um, it's just uh-huh. going to be, can they replace a Dylan Gibbons who was kind of that leader on the front offensive interior yeah, right. there? Um, he's, he was the leader. He was I, I want to say a sixth year guy, a fifth year guy, either way, mm-hmm. he was one of those who had been around, um not Florida state, but around in college football playing, starting for so many years. And so to replace that, they went and got transfers from Colorado and Wisconsin to kind of bring in that veteran type approach to the center of the offensive line. Um, But that's what I mentioned was game one. How well does that interior group mesh on a re or kind of rearranging? Um, You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. like you meant, they, they do bring most of them back, but it is a rearranged unit. Um, Mm The other thing I would look at is, is, Florida State where I feel like they have the edge on most teams is is uh, outside especially on size at, at receiver um, they've got Keon Coleman who's the transfer in from Michigan State from Louisiana yep. he's a a big guy and to steal Johns line my one of my co-host it's, it's he can juke you out of a phone booth um or ju- juke you in a phone booth and and that's a thing that Florida State was missing last year but to go with Johnny Wilson who is a giant guy with big hands and can run uh, and they added Jaheim Bell, a tight end out of uh, South Carolina, who played some running back, mm-hmm. played some receivers. So yeah. there's a lot of weapons. What does the LSU secondary look like, kind of to counter that? Do they have the size? Do they have the ability to cover someone who can be that kind of shifty, like a Keon yeah. Coleman?
1: I mean, obviously, you know, it's going to be hard to guard anybody who's a six seven, six, seven receiver like Johnny Wilson. But <laughs> but that that's not here, there, here there there. But um, LSU, you know. Oh, you know, last year we kinda of brought in some guys from the transfer portal because our defense backfield kind of lacked the depth that needed to be. And then also we lost Elias Ricks to to the transfer portal and then Dwight McLaughlin. We lost we also lost him of the transfer portal as well. Uh so you know, you had to get guys like Jerry Bernard Converse and um Mekhi Gardner and Joe Pouche and Craig Brooks to come kind of fill those needs. But then three out of those four guys I just mentioned, uh, you know, they're obviously graduated. so LSU had to go to this trench portal again. But this time they got a lot of younger guys, the guys who were like sophomores, you know, and and sophomores. And then also they got guys who are veterans and have the experience needed because, you know, you need veteran leadership in that defensive backfield. So they uh, so they in the trench portal, they were able to get Deuce Chestnut, who was a very good corner for Syracuse. Syracuse had one of the best defensive teams in the country last year. And so getting him was huge. And then you also have Zai Alexander. Zai Alexander played at Southeastern Louisiana. And Southeastern Louisiana is one of the better FCS teams, at the one of the better teams at the FCS level. And he was a two-time All-American. And he's 6'2". He's got size. He's got the speed to kind of compete with anybody in the SSC. Uh, those two guys have been taking the most first-team reps out of anybody. And, you know, and, you know, they they can hold their own. Like, Zy Alexander's been locking up Malik Neighbors pretty well, and Malik Neighbors is considered to be one of the best receivers in the country. Um, so, you know, they, you have those two guys. But then behind them, you also have a true freshman like Asher Stamps, who's surprised a lot of people because I thought it was going to be, like, either Denver Harris and a couple other players. But, you know, having a guy like uh, like Asher Stamps from Archbishop Rummel, which is – one of those schools that, for, for some reason, they always bring in these really good defensive backs to LSU, and they always end up doing well. And he's going, to, he's going to be part of the second team. And then you also have, a, on the other end, on the second team, you also have a guy by the name of Latarence Walsh. And he seems to be uh, moving up the ladder pretty quickly as well, and he's been do, doing very good. Uh, but the, And then also in the safeties, uh, the safeties, you obviously return Greg Brooks, you return Major Burns, but then they also got a guy by the name of Andre Sam, Sam was a guy who – he's a safety, and he um he was at Marshall last year. and he's one of the better players at Marshall at the – here in all conference he would say honors at Marshall. And then he was also at McNeese State where he played uh, – where he uh, played under uh, our current running backs coach uh, right now, Frank Wilson. So he had some familiarity with the, some of the members of the LSU coaches staff. And, you know, he's been playing very well throughout fall camp. Uh, you know, last couple of rounds, he's got an interception, and he's been – very disruptive in the defensive backfield, and he's been taking first-team reps uh, at the safety spot. And then at nickel, you have Sage Ryan. Uh, Sage, uh, Sage Ryan's—he's looked like he's improved uh, all throughout fall camp. And then, and then obviously, uh, a lot of times you also have Greg Brooks playing nickel. And then you also have a guy by the name of on Topiano, who is a true freshman. And right now, kinda, he's kind of—he's moving kind of slow right now because he's a true freshman, obviously, but you could tell like by his physical trace, he could be very good for LSU in the future.
0: I wonder, flipping to the offensive side of the ball here, um, the name that I feel like needs to be talked about is Jaden Daniels. Um, Mm -hmm. Between Jaden Daniels and Jordan Travis, I think it's two guys who have remade their image in college football. Um, Jaden coming from Arizona State to LSU and kind of never being able to put it together to a guy who last year towards the end of the year really seemed to find it and really led a, a strong offense. And um, Jordan Travis, obviously uh, a transfer from Louisville, but um, was borderline. ways he going to start kind of thing a, a year and a half ago. And then to last year, just absolutely taking over. Um, I see the similarities between the two. I see the run first approach. I see both got not run first approach, but both guys, thought of in that way the the perception of them as run first guys mm-hmm. um and both of them as this dark horse candidate again just kind of the same way for both teams are dark horses for the playoff both these guys seem like dark horses for Heisman if one of their teams is able to make that run yeah. um what made Jaden Daniels different last year how did he really grow because it felt like in that LSU FSU game he had opportunities to make some passes that he just didn't
1: Yeah, you know, Jaden Daniels, that if you look at, like, his Arizona State tape, you know, freshman through his junior year, you get, like, his freshman year, I remember, like, looking at all the balls he do. His best ball was his deep, uh, deep ball, and, like, you get that like, his short to intermediate passes were kind of eh. Like, they were very shaky, but his deep balls, he was very accurate. And so, you know, when he came to LSU, he was very good at the short to intermediate balls, but then for the deep ball, it wasn't like he wasn't accurate, it was more of the fact that, he wasn't confident throwing the deep ball, and I think that that has a lot to do with you know when he was at Arizona State, you know, he there's a lot of coaching turnover at Arizona State. He had like two or three different offensive coordinators when he was there, and then also his teammates weren't really you know they weren't really as sound as LSU. So when he came to LSU, and you know, I just don't think he was confident. I think that was it was more about confidence than it was about him not can't or not throwing the deep ball. I think it's just about his confidence. And then as the season went on, he built a better relationship with the receivers, especially league neighbors. And uh, Mason Taylor, the tight end, and you know, and then that's when he started to really take off. Um, you know, the thing about Jaden is like, I've been watching his uh, all throughout fall game, he looks like a much different quarterback. You know, he's taking chances, he's throwing the tight coverage, he's throwing the deep ball. Now, that, and, then, and I think Jaden, you know, he's gained some weight too, so he's gotten a little bit bigger. And I think Jaden, if he could just you know. If you know, if this comp I think if he just keeps playing the way he's playing, he's a more than likely I think and the, depending on how LSU season goes, I think he's a dark horse to win the Heisman. Kind of similar to Jordan Travis. Jordan Travis I see the difference between Jordan Travis and uh Jane is that I think Travis is more of a uh drop back passer than um uh Jaden. Jane is more I wouldn't say he's a run first, but he's more willing to run because you know he knows he can I run everybody, because the man—the man runs like a four-five forty. I mean, he's usually one of the <laughs> faster players on the field, so he knows he can use his legs. Jordan Travis, like, yeah, he can run, but then also he's got—he's got a deep ball and is deadly. And you saw like his LSU last year, where you know, after you know, I even said, hey, make one of the things I had when I wrote an article. One of my articles, like, hey, make Jordan Jordan Travis throw it, and well, uh what well, we did, and then uh he ended up. Uh, scorching uh, LSU's defensive backfield, and um, so like not only can he run, but he can also throw the deep ball as well. And they're both very, very similar. And they're both—I could both see them being in New York by the end of the year because they're just that talented, you know. And the way that you know the way that pro football is moving now, obviously saw the success of Jalen Hurts. You know, I think NFL teams would be more willing to go after guys like a James or Jordan Travis because you need your quarterbacks to be mobile. Because defensive ends can now run like 4 3 and everything like that. So, you know, I could both see them being in New York for the Heisman. I could both be, see them being in wherever the NFL draft is hosting, you know, wherever they, ha- they have the NFL draft, whether it's in Cleveland, Las Vegas. I don't know what they have in this year. But I could both very well see them being drafted in the first round.
0: Yeah, I think it's two guys who really kind of, like I said in the beginning, like the perception is wrong. Like you said, like it's like, well, you just need to make sure they don't run. And it's like, well – I think it's two guys who showed, especially as the year went on last year, that they are incredibly capable of throwing the ball and, and doing so really well. And two guys who, yes, if they need to, they're probably faster than any of the guys you have on your defense. If not stride for stride with them, mate, probably faster, but at worst you're, you're going to be running step mm-hmm. for step. You need to be taking a good angle if you're going to get them. Um, yep. I guess the question then becomes like, what else is around him? Last year, I know the conversation a ton was – uh case the the host game unfollows everything lsu and then the drama that ensued over the next 12 13 games um but he really wasn't the guy last year it was malik neighbors that you mentioned the receiver that kind of blossomed uh and then mason taylor jason taylor's son there at tight end what else is there for lsu and and what kind of guy is malik neighbors and, and what does what mason taylor bring
1: you know the thing about lsu's is- uh, skill players that they're all, I mean, that's the thing about LSU for the longest time. And obviously, you went to LSU too. Yeah. And, and so, you know, how when left miles, like that, every, they had like four or five star skill players at every single position. And then you look at quarterback, yeah, there were four or five star guys too, but you could tell, like, okay, this position is the reason why LSU's not getting to where he needs to go. Um, and so, and you know, when Joe Burrow came in, you know, obviously that it was very clear. Okay, all that you to do is have a quarterback now. and I think you know, around Jaden, you know, obviously you have Malik league neighbors, but then you also have um Kyron Lacey who's been very, very good.
0: Is all, he a bigger know, body? Not
1: only in spring practice and at the hmm?
0: He's a bigger body. He's a taller guy. Uh, I would say he's a
1: bigger body. I would say he's taller, but like he's about the same size as Malik league neighbors. I mean, he's not really like big body, big body. Okay. I think you might be thinking about Brian Thomas. Brian Thomas yes. is a guy who's like 6'3, 6'4, very tall. And you know, I really haven't seen much of him ball practice because he's been dealing with some like ongoing injury issues. But I've seen a lot of Chris Heldon, who missed all of last season because of injury, and he's looking very good. But then you also have um you know Aaron Anderson who transferred in from Alabama. And he may not get the like first team, but he's gonna be. Very heavily featured in the offense. He's also going to be a tournament, too, because he's extremely fast. He's very quick. He can shake people off their boots. We, I've seen that a lot throughout uh, fall camp. And then you also have, you know, some younger guys, too, like uh, Sean Sands, who is a 5 receiver out of Catholic High. And he's, kind of, he's got big in a lot more reps with the, not only the second team, but he's also gotten some reps in the first team as well. And then Kyle Parker, and, and who's also a freshman, and then uh, Jalen Brown. He's also a freshman as well. I'm not saying that the, all those guys are going. The two freshmen going to play, but the receivers are very, very deadly. And even if you lose one, the next guy up is going to be very good. And then at the running back spot, we have eight scholarship running backs, which is absolutely insane. And the guys who are probably I expect to be first team will be um, a mixture of Josh Williams and Logan Diggs. Josh Williams is our, our leading rusher among the running backs last year. And he's the even though he's like five nine, like 200, 205 pounds, he can pack a punch. He's like he can he's a more probably more of a power runner, and he carries himself like he's six two thirty. There's a lot of times, a lot of runs last year where like he would be dogpiling like three, four guys on him and get like the first down or get a, like a short yardage touchdown, whatever. And he's been a guy that LG's relied on whenever they need short yard uh, situations. Logan Diggs was a guy who rushed for over 800 yards in Notre Dame last year. And to be honest with you, he probably could have ran over 1,000 yards if he didn't have to share carries with their uh, other starter. I forgot the guy's name. But, you know, this shows you, like, how good um, Logan Diggs really is. And then you also have a guy like John Emery, uh, who missed the Florida State game last year because he had some academic issues. But he's a guy that I could see LG bringing in for, like, passive plays. He's probably LSU's best receiving uh, halfback out of the backfield, in my opinion, because a lot of all the big places had had, a lot of the plays he had last year were, you know, during passing plays, especially the play against Alabama where he – where he, with the just score the first session of the game. And uh, But then you also have like Trey Bradford, Noah Kane, uh, and then you also have two really talented freshmen, uh, Caleb Jackson and Trey Hawley. Um, there's, there's some other guys that I haven't mentioned yet, but, but the running back room is very deep. Uh, it's been a lot deeper than uh, than a lot in recent years, and then also, and obviously, you have the tight end spot, which may, you know, obviously, you just mentioned Mason Taylor. Mason Taylor will be the first team tight end; he will be the starting tight end. I mean, he's going to be the fe- most featured tight end. But then you also have three true freshmen who are all very good; they all bring something different to the table. Mac Barkway is kind of in the same build as your traditional tight end, or. Maybe even more of a modern Christian tight end, like George Kittle or a Rob Gronkowski, or like somebody who can block. Hassan his, his is just very—you can move him all around the field. So he's going to be most likely your second tight end. But you also have a guy like Kamaron Pimpton, who's 6'6", 245. and you know, I felt like he—you know—he's—he was a sleeper last year in the recruiting class, and you know, he—who he was originally a Vanderbilt commit. And then LSU came is like, no, nah, come play for LSU. He's like, all right, he decommitted from Vandy. He went to LSU. And that guy is an athlete. Like he reminds me a lot, of, like a Kyle Pitts where he looked very big, large catch radius. He could over Like it's a he's a mismatch for any guy who's up covering him. And then you also have a guy by the name of uh, Jackson McGowan. And I know I'm kind of listing all these guys, but Jackson McGohan, but like that's just shows you how deep LSU's tight end room really is. And he, he's a and he's not a guy you could probably gonna be. I'll uh, have your, his hand on the ground and try to block somebody. He's probably gonna be more of a guy who's like more of a receiving tight end. Um, but then you also have, and then you also have Connor Galbraith, who is a six-six, about two hundred seventy-pound tight end. But he's gonna be, but he's probably be used in a lot more like, uh, like these, like these heavy set packages where they need to like it's fourth and one and they're trying to run the ball. In the middle. He's gonna be like your second tackle in a sense.
0: Yeah. When you look at this game um i I won't ask you for a predict well i guess i kind of am but um if there is a a best case scenario recipe for success for lsu in this game what what do you see it is like they they, uh, what do you see it as they need to have success running the ball they need to have success passing they need to get off the field like where is i mean obviously the things are limit turnovers and get off the field but what what is what does success look like in this particular game
1: I think, you know, it's. So I think it's obviously you have to protect a quarterback. I mean, last year – now, that was a much different LSU offensive line the first game of the year. Obviously, they're kind of moving some things around. And then also, you know, we were starting a true front mm-hmm. left tackle like Will Campbell who had to guard Jared Verse, And that was Top a recipe for yeah. disaster. <laughs> and, but, you know, eventually, as the season went on, they finally figured out Will Campbell became – probably arguably one of the best left tackles in the country as a true freshman. And then you – then you also – by the third game of the year, they installed Emory Jones, another true freshman at right tackle. And then the interior line kind of figures itself in there. Um, And then they became one of the best units in the country. And I expected them to be a top five unit in the country again. Um, I think, you know, protecting Jane Daniels. Um, another thing is also – um. Getting getting the defense off the field. There's a lot of times last year where it would be third and ten, or third and fifteen, or third and five and LSU's kind of his offense. I think that's another thing. And then also the uh, special teams. Uh, last year LSU not only in that game but all throughout the year the story of LSU's team last year was special teams, missed kicks, block hits, muffed punts, muffed kick returns. um... Not knowing that the the ball is dead like, against Georgia and the championship last year. It was just a mess. Uh, this year, they they hired John Jancic, who has been more of a defensive coordinator. But the thing about special teams is that special teams have always been kind of been by committee. They always have a special teams coordinator, per se, but it's always been kind of by committee. So you don't really have to have a got a special teams guru to be a special teams coordinator. You just have of Organize everything. Know your personnel. Okay, this is what we're going to do with this player and yada, yada, yada. And then you just throw it out there. Uh, So if the special teams can get it together, I think LSU, that would extremely help LSU. And um, what about Florida State? You know, because I know Florida State, obviously they had their issues, obviously with the fumble on the goal line that ultimately led to LSU nearly tying the game.
0: Yeah, I do want to make yeah. one quick mention on your uh, LSU miscues on, on the special teams. Even, I mean, I, I obviously know it from all the games, but um, I mean, just to go back to that opener last year, it was the blocked field goal in the first quarter or early second yep. quarter. Um, the uh, muff punt, I believe, towards the towards the end of the game, the two, two muff punts. There was two
1: muff punts, but both by the that- league neighbors, too. And then the blocked,
0: the blocked punt, the blocked extra point to end the game. So I mean, yeah. that was a huge, huge storyline in that game where uh, LSU just seemingly couldn't get out of their own way, yeah. Even when when Florida State gave them opportunities, um, but yeah, I mean, I I think we've talked about it a few times on the pod, and, and the the way for Florida State to have success all season is first and foremost if they can run the football. Um, that's that's what. They want to do. That's what Mike Norvell's teams do: is have success running the ball, and then kind of set up their ability to let Jordan have the time off of play action and and uh, win that way. One thing I think they have different this year is what Keon Coleman brings: that ability to win one on one matchups. Um, I don't want to say quicker, but quicker than Johnny Wilson can. Johnny normally wins them on big routes. The I'm going to beat yeah. you downfield, and I'm going to just now I'm going across, and now you you kind of got to keep up with me whereas Keon can kind of just win a slant at the line and off we go. Um, I think success in this game is going to take more of turnovers. I think that's something Florida State's defense works a lot to try. That's what they need to do. In in losses last year, they they gave up a lot of points and they didn't turn the ball over at all. They're an aggressive group. And so I think you don't want to allow – If you're not going to get turnovers, you need to get off the field at least quickly, even if it's giving up points, because this offense is their bread and butter. Keeping the ball, scoring, and putting up points is going to be the best thing. If they're on the sideline for an extended period, that's trouble. Um, And the other thing to me is really, it goes back to the first thing we really talked about, is keeping four off of Jordan Travis. Uh, Harold Perkins is one of the best players in the country best players period not defensive players not young players he's one of the best players in the country um we saw him a year ago give Bryce Young fits in that game um I think of the Arkansas LSU game where he basically won it single-handedly and Arkansas's quarterback was a track star um obviously that guy couldn't throw so that was part of it but I mean the ability to just run down a track star all game is not something you see often so I think keeping Jordan clean turning the forcing turnovers from LSU uh, and running the football would be the three things that I'm I'm going to pick on. I'm really interested. One aspect, too, is, is Fentrell Cypress is a transfer from Virginia at cornerback for Florida State. Um, how well he matches up with the Malik neighbors I think is also going to be important just in terms of the freedom he gives the rest of that secondary. It'll be his first game. Is there any um, – Communication issues in the secondary, or does he just take over and say, Hey guys, I've got this dude, you guys worry about the rest of them? I got it. Can you put him on an island and not allow you to do more? Right. Um, one area we talked about earlier too is LSU's LSU, uh, linebacker groups a little thin, they're really good at the top, but they, they don't have the depth behind him. I'm a little less worried about that the first game of the year. Um, but you know, like you mentioned earlier with Mason Smith, it does take one play, so you know, it, it's an area of concern. I think when I look at worst case scenario. Um, like if I were to say, this is how FSU loses, it's not being able to stop you know, getting into a shootout and not, I feel like they could keep up with a shootout, but if they can't get the stop they need, then it becomes a problem. Like if that right. defensive line gets gassed and it, and it comes on linebackers and secondary chasing Jaden Daniels around, it's, it's going to be a long day. And I think right. if it gets to the point where they can't run the ball they can't beat those D tackles and LSU can kind of control the line of scrimmage with four, with the two, with Mackay, and with Mason Smith and the two DNs. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of let Harold just roam the field. I think that's where Florida state gets into trouble as um, if they can't make it second and five, they can't make it third and one or second and two or second and three, you know, get those, get those yep. shorter big first down gains to keep the stay ahead of the down, stay ahead of the chains kind of situation. If they have trouble mm-hmm. running the ball, that's that's where they'll run into an issue. Where do you see a worst case scenario for LSU?
1: I think for LSU, I think, like I just mentioned, I think special teams, you know, they need to get their special teams together. And then also, you know, I think I'm not really worried about so much stop the run this year because I think our defense is better than it was a year before. Uh, considering the fact that now, uh, besides Harold Perkins, I forgot to mention these two players too, is Greg Penn is is a very solid uh, linebacker. He had seventy-eight tackles. He was second in tackles last year, and he had six tackles for a loss. And you know, he's, he was a very good player for us last year. But then also, you have a guy of Spates. Omar Space is an All-Pac-12 linebacker, of Oregon State, and he's a very he's a very big player. He is 6'1", 235, A veteran, he knows he knows that he's very smart. Like, and he's a the veteran present in the linebacker room. And even though, like – and even though, like, he may get overshadowed by Harold Perkins a little bit, um, Omar Space is going to be a guy you need to watch out for because he's a – you know, he's he's a, he's a just a dude. He's an actual dude. Um, I, you know, I think the de- – run deep – I would say run defense, but no, nah, I don't think this – I think this year I think they'll have a little bit more – get more together. I think also just getting LSU's defense off a field, like I just mentioned earlier too, is, you know – there's a lot of times where the defense ain't on too long. And, you know, and you know, when you don't want to have a tired defense at the end of the game, especially when you have to deal with a guy like Jordan Travis. And then also I think a worst-case scenario would be not running the ball well. And even though I'm more confident in LSU's run game this year, you know, you don't want to have Jaden uh, Daniels running for his on the entire game and being the leading in Because there's a lot – I think there's a lot like in most of the games you're Jaden – the lead rusher. You can't have that, especially when you brought in Logan Diggs and Notre Dame from Notre Dame, and then you also Josh Williams, and then you know John Embry and a couple other guys that I mentioned earlier. Um, so they LSU needs to run the ball officially because you can't rely on Jane Daniels the whole entire game. You know, you need to mix it up a bit. A lot of the, the big games that LSU won last year is because their run game was effective, especially against Alabama. I always say this: if you run to get hundred over 150 yards against Alabama. There's almost you have a very very good chance of winning against Alabama, but if you don't, you're going to struggle. I think if LSU can get to 150 yards of rushing, I think that'll be enough to beat Florida State in a very good that very good defense. But I also have to ask you a question. So like you mentioned last, you know how about the linebackers not lacking depth? Is there any concerns you have with the linebacking room besides the death? Like do they struggle with run defense? Or are they do they struggle with the pass like uh, pass communication like What's
0: the deal with them? Uh, a year ago, looking at the defense overall, they were fourth in the country in pass defense. Though I, I don't, we we did our defensive preview a week ago, but I don't think any of us really sat there and looked at each other and said they were elite pass defense, um, even at the linebacker level. Uh, Kalen DeLoche is the guy to really center on in that linebacker group. Um, he is fantastic. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what other words to use for it. Um, he's come in and been fantastic. Him and Tatum Bethune um really leading the linebackers more often than not i really expect those two to be the two um they Mm -hmm. they use dj lundy and they use um a couple other guys here and there but it's mostly freshmen behind that i i think it's Bethune and Kalen, uh bethume and and deloach and they are yeah i mean those are the two guys that can kind of do everything um they can do a little um pass coverage they can do run support really well they're they're great tacklers um, One area that we talked about that we were concerned about was a year ago. They had Jamie Robinson in the secondary as a safety. Uh, and he played a lot kind of as that third linebacker type, Um, you know, technically yeah. a safety. But he was very downhill in the box kind of guy. Um, yeah. They lose him to the NFL, which, you know, great, good to him. But um, do they have that there? Maybe a Shaheem Brown becomes that kind of guy for Florida State in the safe as a safety who can come downhill and tackle. Um, but I, I think that's something they really need off of last year's team because Jamie was a guy who was not at all afraid to hit and step up and, and be that pad popping guy, that extra, kind of get to the edge and I'm curious what they look like at that level to kind of move around if they can do that around those guys. Cause I have full confidence in, in Kalen and Tatum's ability to, to be linebacking leaders. Um, it's getting to the edge without Jamie is, is where I'm interested in how that works because he gave them that ability to kind of wild card the defense a little bit.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, yeah, the, yeah, and like you mentioned the wild card, like you kind of need to have that wild card guy, especially when you face a guy like Jane Daniels, you know, because he can, because he could be the pocket and then actually you know he's taking off and running, and you know that it could be five, ten. 15, 20, 25, or six yards for a touchdown. That's how fast Shane Dan's is. You know he's very shifty as a six score, 210 hundred ten-pound quarterback. You know he's almost like a receiver out there. But then you but you know, and but then you also have like you know some very dynamic receivers, like I mentioned earlier, Aaron Anderson. And then you know you also have guys like you know other running back spot like Logan Diggs and. John, uh, John Emery and um, uh, what I meant, Josh Williams. So you kind of need to have that wild card to kind of like to kind of eliminate some of those, you know, those hybrid type of players, those guys who could make a difference. Because you know Greg Brooks is kind of like that for us. Where Greg, Greg Brooks. We could put him in the deep in the deepest of backfields, like a free or a strong safety, and then we or we could also move him the uh, the nickel spot, where he's also very, probably his best spot on the field. In my opinion, is when he's playing that nickel role and he's more of the in the box safety.
0: If you, uh, if I make you make a pick, I assume you're going to go with an LSU win here.
1: I don't know because I've been on the fence about this. You know, just because you know, I'm, you know, I think the same. You know, the same way that Florida State fans are afraid of Jane Daniels, LSU fans are really afraid of Jordan Travis because you know we saw last year how good Jordan Travis can be, you know, especially against LSU and, you know, not only can he run effectively, but he could also, also be dangerous in the air. And that was something that a lot of LSU, a lot of people did not expect from Jordan Travis because we thought Jordan Travis more as a runner than he was a, a, a throw of the football. And then all of a sudden LSU started throwing some nice, some beautiful deep balls to receivers. And here's like, Oh God, this is gonna be a long night. <laughs> like, because he's so so dangerous. But I think, I think I probably have to go with an LSU win just because I think all those players you got a sour taste in their mouth from losing. Not only the way they did, but you know, a lot of those players are are from New Orleans or from the New Orleans area, or they have family that live in New Orleans. Or they're from like you. They got to think about this. New Orleans is about an hour away from Baton Rouge, two hours away from Lafayette. And, that's all, you know, and so like that's a that's a drivable distance for a lot of guys who live in Louisiana. So the fact that you had Florida State come in your own backyard and beat you like that, I think you know, it left a sour taste in a lot LSU players' mouths, and they want to get revenge. So I think I'll have to go with 35-31 LSU. Uh, I think it'll be a shootout in the end.
0: Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think it's a shootout. I, I'll save my my uh, winner prediction for next week when we talk full season uh, conversations here on the Seminole Wrap, but. Uh, I do think, and I've been saying it all offseason, I, I see this as the best game of the weekend. I think this probably ends up as one of maybe the five best games of the season. Because um, mm-hmm. you're looking at two teams who a year ago gave you quite possibly one of the worst games of the season. It, it felt like neither yeah. team really wanted to win. Neither team was confident. Both played pretty ugly ball. Um Florida State really probably should have won by two scores, ends up only winning by a point because some ugly play on their behalf down the stretch. Um, But both teams really found confidence, turned around 10-win years. Both teams are really explosive. They've hit the portal hard. They've they've returned a lot of guys. They bring back both quarterbacks who are – one a if not one you know one b in their conference depending on how you feel about drake may and the acc and i just think this is going to be one hell of a football game that it's it's much like last year going to come down to one play maybe not the last play but you know i I think it's a bounce here or there and it it just depends on who ends up making it and who's in the position to do it but uh, i think on a very different scenario this will be a very close fun game down the stretch um that I don't think either team comes out of looking like, oh, that's not a good football team. I feel like we leave opening weekend going, wow, those are two really good football teams and it sucks one of them had to lose.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, I think, but this is what's fairly similar to the, uh, from last year to this year is that this game's gonna be the only game being played on Sunday. Like he's, yep. you know, if he was played on Saturday, he was still good at the pub, but, you know, there's other games going on at the same time. It's on Sunday again, and you know it's the only game that's going to be on. So all eyes come in the game, but this time both the teams are in the top ten. So you're going to have all kinds of eyeballs because not only are not only is the only game of the uh, the day, and it's against two top top ten teams, but either one of these teams could easily make the college football playoff because of the talent they have on the team. And you know, in the ACC, obviously, you know. You're basically, all you got to do is beat Clemson because I mean, the, and then you know, there's North Carolina too, but like the ACC is not nearly as strong as it used to be, you know, when we were growing up. Obviously, you uh, know, like Tech and Miami is uh, still very decent. Yeah, North Carolina is
0: not on Florida State's schedule, so they that's pretty, you know, it, it's the, the way the schedule lays out, yeah. it's it's beat Clemson is pretty much where the schedule, lays yeah, out them. yeah,
1: all right, but then you also have teams, you know, I'm not know, like I'm not dissing any other team they see because you could eat. Florida could lose to any other team they used to see just because, you know, you don't want to write anybody off. But LSU, you know, the thing is LSU is like in the SEC. I mean, if you be if LSU beats Florida State, then they are, you know, then a lot, a lot of people are like, oh, are they the number one team in the country? Kind of similar in 2019 because everyone knows LSU's got talent in every single position.
0: Grant, I appreciate you jumping on and helping us with the preview man. Uh again, if you're looking for his work, and the LSU SBN Asian site, he's also on Twitter, Grant Sacheray. It's uh it's actually on Twitter the opposite. Sacheray Grant, C H A C H E R E and then Grant G R A N T. It's one word. Appreciate the time, Grant. Um anything else you want to plug is that where to find your work? And Yeah, Yep,
1: that's that's where most of my work is. Yep.
0: Cool. Appreciate the time. It'll be a good game two weeks from now, and hopefully, um, our, our side comes out on top. But I won't tell. I yeah. won't tell you which our side is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that for Grant Brian. That's a wrap. Thanks guys. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Full season preview, uh, looking at the whole year. I have John Ben. We'll have the whole squad back together. So talk to y'all till next week. We'll see y'all then.